All right, here we are. Mistakes were made, episode four. Sarah, what's your tagline for this week? All right, how about this one? Mistakes were made, a podcast for married squares who never thought they'd be non-monogamous and are fucking it up. Mm. <laughs> That sounds about right. What do you right. got? What do you got? Uh, mistakes were made. A podcast about non-monogamy for people who thought they'd never fall in love again. Oh, interesting. All right. Does that sound too sad? It sounds a little sad. sad. It's a little sad. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to unpack that today. Mm-hmm. And then you'll know how it's not sad. I mean, that's the tease, right? This Today's episode. Love. Love. Uh, introduce yourself. Who are you? Oh, okay. Me. I am Sarah Studeville. I'm a therapist, a writer, a journalist, a queer, non-monogamous mom. Uh, And what else do you need to know about me? Uh, I love talking about feelings. Um, I... You don't love having them, but you love talking. I don't love having them. You know, I think that is a really good distinction, which me just about to explain (laughs) myself as an Aquarius, I feel like that really fits. I'm like, I love talking about feelings. I hate having them. (laughs) Uh, And I am Alex Stonehill. I have no feelings, so that's uh, easy for me. Um, This is what makes us such a great team. (laughs) (laughs) I am a former journalist and a communication educator. Uh, I am a dad with a corresponding bod and bod. I am a Pisces and my turn-ons are long walks on the beach and honest communication and puppies. Wow. Actually just the middle, not just the middle one, short walks on the beach and pup is puppies. It seemed like a cliche I was turn just on, but say, that's I was not, like, this man does not like long walks <laughs> and I've never seen you hang with a puppy, but okay. <laughs> do what you got to do on the apps, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, and here we're here today, uh, as always, with our award-winning producer, Jessica Partnow. Hi, Jessica. Hi. Hi. Hey, uh, how come award-winning is in quotes in the script? <laughs> it's their, their quotes of <laughs> emphasis. <laughs> um, so today we're talking about, as you said, uh, love, falling in love. What is love? Well, and so to get started, I want to ask you guys, what is the latest in awkward non-monogamy news? Anything happened lately? Oh, yeah. So we went to a happy hour for non-monogamous people, for polyamorous people in person, in person. These were people in a room together at <laughs> People the same in person. Time. Yeah. yeah. People in person. Uh, there was a I lot do- of people. It was a crowded room. If I hadn't just had COVID, mm-hmm. I would have been afraid of getting COVID. Um, right? Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was uh, surprisingly fun, right? We had a good time, mm-hmm. which is not yeah. normal for us. <laughs> <laughs> like, we are not fun-loving people. I want to be no. super clear about fun, that. <laughs> fun-hating. Uh, is that a kind of person? So, yeah, I mean, what my 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 conclusions from that experience were like one big thing was just like oh i was like wow this is what it's like to meet people in this context like in the context of non-monogamy and like potentially dating and stuff and meet those people not on an app which was uh refreshing Mm -hmm. and also made me realize how like apps are weird 
and meeting people in real life is yeah. much less weird. Like you're seeing the whole person rather than a really like a gradual doling out of very selective information that they've chosen to like curate and give to you. Rather than a guy who's it's like, like, I you're like, just like long walks on the beach. I'm a Pisces yeah. and I love puppies. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I would never say that in person. You're like, this could work. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I really liked that. It was really nice to just like talk to people. And it was also nice because it was not like uh, um, like the the conversations with people just kind of arranged all over and were kind of like some of the typical ones that you might have with any new person. But you kind of knew that they were like in the same had some of the same interests or lifestyle choices or experiences as you which I loved. Yeah, it was really interesting, I think, for people who have opened up, become non-monogamous during the pandemic, which I want to kind of like just do a little aside here for an article that I'm writing for Seattle Met about non-monogamy trends, my own personal experience. I've done a little bit of research and found that there is some evidence that there is a trend of people opening up their relationships during the pandemic, or at least beginning to have conversations about opening up their relationships during the pandemic. Um, and I had the opportunity to interview Sam Cat, the founder of Shrimp Teeth, which is an Instagram account and a kind of coaching service for folks who are opening up their relationships. Um, and they confirmed that, that this is a trend. Lots and lots of people started thinking about non-monogamy more seriously or started trying it or started dabbling in it during the pandemic. Um, but for those of us for whom that's the case, we haven't had any in-person experience with like community of non-monogamy um, or it's been pretty rare. So we went on the apps, we dated people in this kind of like satellite way but I have not been to events where it was like, these are non-monogamous people and we have that in common. And like, we might meet and vibe on a date level, or we might meet and vibe on just a social level, or we just have this in common and it's, it's nice to be in the same place together. So that was just like a real moment for me that I think um, my, my hope is that if things continue to open up a little bit more and there's more of this kind of in-person socializing available, um, that I'll be able to build more communities. Some of us who are kind of new to this can build community with each other. Um, and I think a lot of great things could come from that. So yeah, this is not exactly a story of awkwardness, Jessica, but I promise you I did awkward things. Um, so I'm like, can I just pull, oh, here's an awkward thing we did. <laughs> I know, I know. So Alex and I, we were at, <laughs> we're at this happy hour we were chatting with this woman. She was really interesting. We were having a lot of fun. We had a lot in common. It was like a little bit of a flirty vibe. And at one point, she mentions that she's gone to Costco. And we're like, oh, we went to Costco recently. What did you get? And she mentioned that she bought, this is like the least flirty conversation in the world, I'm realizing. She goes, oh, I bought the fish sticks. And Alex and I just like lost our shit. We're like, the fish sticks are so good. That's like the best yeah. buy you could have possibly made. God, Woo! they are good. They're so, they're really good. And it's a really good deal. And she would, she had bought them to bring them to the hosts of the party. She wasn't even going to keep them for herself. And we were like, you need to get those fish sticks for yourself because they're good. Then the next day, As though, Alex fuck. and I, over breakfast, we were like, that lady that we were, that was maybe, like, flirting with us, did we just, like, totally shut that down by just going crazy about fish sticks, Costco fish sticks? <laughs> and Alex is like, You maybe. know what? <laughs> we're honest about our passions. Uh, and if people can't deal with it. 
I never really thought about what it would mean for us to fall in love with other people. You know, I'm like, yes, let's do it. This sounds interesting. That's all I need to know. We'll like, you know, let our couples uh-huh. counselor, co- you know, know about it. We'll buy some books. We'll get on the apps. Let's go. Uh, but right. I, in at no point along the way, was I really thinking about what that might mean in reference to love. Right. We started off thinking about the operational parts of it and not the uh, the relational parts of it mm-hmm. or whatever. So, um, yeah, and and I do think this is uh, you know it's come up uh, in past conversations about um, what people people's initial reactions to non monogamy or the idea of it, and it does seem like a common trope is kind of like, what if someone falls in love? Mm-hmm. Uh, what if someone else falls in love with you? What if you fall in love with someone else? Um, and so that's what we want to get into today is like what. What is love? Baby, um, and Sorry. Well, and it's worth saying that when new people are getting into non-monogamy, and this shows up in my practice a lot, it's showing up in our community a lot, it's a very common early boundary is this idea that you don't fall in love. But we don't talk about what that means. Um, and in a lot of ways, that can be a setup, which I think we will now demonstrate by exploring yeah. some of the mistakes we made around it. Um, so we were, I'm not as good with dates as you are. This was whatever, probably six, no, maybe more like a year, about so a year after ago, we started. Say, yeah. About a year ago, yeah. So, you know, almost a year after we started dating other people. Um, and we were driving to actually meet Jessica and um, some other friends. And it was a weekend day. We were just like, let's do something. So we were going to go down to Olympia to go to like a uh, an estuary park near there on the Nisqually River and it's really lovely, um, it was a long drive it is it's, we should we should beautiful. go back <laughs> yeah um but uh we got into I think what was a small you know ish not super serious conversation that turned into a big conversation um about uh my my feelings about um my kind of main other partner at the time and like in the process of that conversation I sort of grudgingly after much resistance admitted to you that uh she and i had said i love you Mm -hmm. to each other um and it was like a big deal i would say this was probably um the one of the worst fights we've probably ever like sort of most explosive fights that we've ever been in and it was like really intense because we were kind of like stuck in the car with the kids Mm -hmm. i think this is like the probably the the worst that we've ever fought like in front of the kids Mm -hmm. i think the littlest one was asleep but the older one was very much not asleep and kind of listening to it and we were having sort of terse conversations with you know there was some getting out of the car and yelling and mm-hmm. it was bad uh, it was it was it was bad, bad. it and was like just, the bottom uh, of bad for me at least the, it was yeah, it was as bad as it got as it ever got and we just turned around and drove home ditched jessica and our other friends Sorry, Jess. um, but you know what so you don't you want any part of that Mm-mm. uh you probably had a lovely day um yeah and i, I mean i remember thinking as we were driving back and i tend to be a little bit like internally melodramatic but like i was like oh wow this is it we're like getting divorced yeah. like this is like a, a fight that we're not like gonna come back from mm-hmm. um and clearly we did but uh yeah um what were you thinking Woof. at that time if you care to yeah share going back into it now i mean first of all i just want to say like 
it feels good to acknowledge that that was a real rock bottom for me um, and for both of us. And we have come back from it. Um, so it's, it's mm-hmm. nice to acknowledge that. And to anyone out there who feels like they might be in a, in a rock bottom kind of situation with a partner that they really care about and want to stay with, um, just I, I know that for me, it's meaningful to remember that you can get through things like that. Um, so I think what I was thinking, you know, I have been a, a sl- slower to non-monogamy kind of every step of the way. And you've sort of done everything first. <laughs> We've talked about this in past episodes. It's like you wanted a fir- date first. You slept with someone else first. You got in a serious relationship with someone first. You fell in love first. And I was like kind of on a delayed um, schedule by comparison. Uh, and so in a way, when I look back on it, I appreciate that about you, that you were sort of like, hmm. <laughs> you were... Um, <laughs> All of that sounds so bad to me. I know, I know it does. Appreciate it. But you were sort of breaking um, ground. I mean, there's a way that like a theme yeah. is showing up in this podcast where whether it's me mentioning non-monogamy for the first time, but then kind of like blaming you for wanting to do it, right? Yeah. Or me like wanting you to try these things first because I'm scared and then being mad at you because you did them first. <laughs> like you might notice right. there's a theme here and it, it relates to yeah, the mistakes I made. I just <laughs> think of those things as being so gendered. I have them internalized in a gendered way where I just am like, yeah, of course, because I'm a, a man and I'm, you know, a scummy and sensitive perv or whatever. Mm. Um, and... Uh, but that, you know, learning more about how other people's dynamics are, mm-hmm. it's like sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, those don't always fall on they clean don't. gender lines. Yeah, they really like, don't. Um, I think for you and I, that shows up a lot because um, that's specific to our our dynamics and our, like, family's histories. Um, but it is interesting to note that it can look really different in different relationships. Like, who has, like, more initial energy or gusto or sort of courage around trying things first and how that feels. Um, Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, it was like, I hadn't gotten into another serious relationship yet. Um, I had watched you get into one with your partner. I really liked your partner. We had met um, and it all felt hard, but like hard in the kind of struggling versus the hard of suffering, which I think is a distinction that's important when we're talking about this stuff. Like Mm. non-monogamy is difficult. You will struggle. There's just no Uh way around it. But I think that struggling is a place where with like communication and checking in with yourself and each other, you can learn and grow. Suffering is not. Suffering is a place where you can't grow. Um, and, and knowing the difference between those things is important. Um, But I was tipping into suffering around like probably month four or five of you all dating because I mean, looking back on it, I hadn't really thought about what it would look like for these relationships to go on. You know, when we were talking about it initially, we were talking about it like fun dates and having sex and um, maybe friends with benefits. But the idea and we should have known because like you and I do serious community oriented relationships. And of course that was going to be a style of non-monogamy that we did too. Um, But I was realizing like this partnership of Alex's might be around for a while. 
And what does that mean, especially around like mm-hmm. my fears of you falling in love with someone else, right? Like how long are you realistically going to be going and meeting someone weekly and having intimacy building experiences and sleeping with them without eventually like falling in love or love coming up or communicating love for each other? I think on some level I was recognizing that that, that my whole kind of like setup, the paradigm that I had set up for myself was false and wrong. And I could feel that you all were um, growing closer and I was getting scared. Um, yeah. And so I remember at that time doing an absolute shit job of explaining that to you. <laughs> it all sounds so reasonable when I look back on it now and I explain my internal thought process. But I know at the time it would be like, you'd be like, hey, I'd like to see her an extra time this week or we were going to talk on the phone or like go for a walk. And I'd be like, I feel like something's changing. What's going on? I'm freaking out. And then, of course, it make you immediately defensive and we would fight. And right. that was just like sort of building towards this fight that you're describing that was kind of yeah and like something changing uh felt like an accusation yeah and maybe it kind of was but like uh i definitely wasn't like in a place to say because we had kind of like an i don't know if it was a spoken or unspoken but like yeah i want to flesh out for a second like our understanding of what was supposed to be happening Mm -hmm. because it's kind of i definitely bought into it too but it's kind of ridiculous like we were like oh we'll go meet other people separately on the apps or whatever and go on dates with them and have sex with them and then just won't really build intimacy, I guess, right. beyond a certain point. Right. Um, but what is what does that even mean? Like, those are just words, but intimacy beyond a certain point. Like, it's almost like you would explicitly or deliberately be like, oh, well, now I'm now I like you and this go, is going well. So we better stop seeing each other. Right. Like, what a weird thing to do do to those other people and kind of to yourself too. Like, and it's like a way uh, of just like half-assed being half-assed and not really taking responsibility for yourself or why you're here. Like if we right. were interested in just having f- just, I don't mean just, if we were interested in friends with benefits situations that didn't have like more meaningful emotional connection, uh, we wouldn't have been pursuing the relationships we were pursuing. You know, right? like the right. way we were going yeah. about it didn't support that idea even. And I think we'll come back to this in a minute, but there's a be- very big difference between building intimacy and departing from your, you know, like disrupting your life and departing from your primary partnership yeah. because you've built intimacy with somebody else. But we were kind of treating those as like the same thing. So we're staying on the other side of that. Um, and I guess just to talk about my experience with that, um, you know, as you described, this was actually the first person almost the first person that I went on a date with and just kind of hit it off. Um, and we're, I'm still dating that person, still seeing that in, in a relationship with that person. Um, she was recently talked about me on a podcast, so I'm going to talk about her <laughs> on this podcast as, as revenge. No. Um, uh, and yeah, it pretty quickly moved to like a, a pretty frequent thing. And like you said, you met her. Um, but like after several months of that, like we had, become close enough that in my understanding, you know, of how relationships kind of work, that was mostly, you know, in the context of like monogamy. And I hadn't really been in a, a meaningful new relationship, romantic relationship in a really long time. A hundred years. It was just like, it almost, yeah. <laughs> Since dinosaurs roamed the earth, uh, it felt like not saying, not acknowledging that and not like saying the words like, I love you 
it almost felt like that was a um, it was a weird thing to not be doing mm-hmm. um, in part because it's sort of instinct when you're in that kind of relationship, but in part because it was like, it was like a withholding thing. So um, I don't think that there was a, t- a moment where everything changed, but clearly it like slowly escalated, uh, you know, to a point where it was a serious relationship. That was not what either you or I kind of expected going in. And to answer, um, but yeah. just Jessica, I see that you wrote in the, chat like did you ever explicitly say no to falling in love and what I remember um, is skirting that question by when it come up come when it came up saying that won't happen right Which, in retrospect yeah. I realize was another big setup and another mistake that was made um, yeah and I think my read of that at the time was what I read of falling in love to mean was us breaking up Mm-hmm. Right, like, um, because that's like a thing you <laughs> maybe a thing you can more reasonably say no to. Like, my aim is not, and I have no intention or desire to end our relationship. Um, and I think that kind of seemed like that was what the how I was reading that that like boundary or whatever. Um, but you know, clearly we, we were not like I don't know if it's it makes sense to say we were not on the same page there, but more just like. It was a hard thing to navigate uh, together and even harder to navigate separately when we weren't, um, you know, discussing it really deeply. So, you know, when that came out on that car ride, it was just like I had I had made the the mistake of like really withholding any acknowledgement of that relationship becoming more serious and the way that that might be threatening to you. And rather than holding your feelings around that and acknowledging it, I had just kind of been like, no, everything's the same. Um, and you know, I mean, I essentially lied to you for a while about it, uh, about having, you know, I had said that and I didn't tell you right away or, you know, a couple of weeks at least has, had elapsed between, uh, us, me and this other person saying those words to each other and us having this conversation. And you did have to like pry it out of me pretty much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this was core to our dynamic early on um, and something I think we probably still struggle with. And I see is not uncommon in relationships that are opening up for the first time uh, is this idea that the person who is having um, maybe a little more fun or moving a little faster with building new relationships feels guilty. Um, especially Mm -hmm. if there's already an existing dynamic of that person having been interested in relationships outside of their primary partnership. And it does often align Mm -hmm. that way. Um, So they feel guilty, like they're doing something that their partner doesn't want. And they think that by adding new escalations or other changes or, you know, stating their needs more clearly they're going to add to the suffering or they're going to feel more guilty or they're going to, you know, continue to be kind of dragging their partner through something that their partner doesn't want to be doing. Um, And I think like that was a real common setup between the two of us, especially early on. And that's a thing that you see show up a lot with your client couples who are. Yeah. I would say uh, off the top of my head, almost every single one Uh, where the, Uh um, where the relationship is one that was monogamous for a long time, and now uh-huh. they are opening up for the first time, there is almost always some version of this dynamic, and in my experience, it does not follow gendered lines. Um, and it shows up in queer couples, 
in cis straight couples and couples where or relationships where some people are queer, some people are straight, um, or heterosexual, and uh, it's just really it's very common. I think it's it's almost to the point where. Um, I mean, we've talked about this in past episodes. There's no way that two people are going to experience this on the same timeline in the same way with the same intensity, wanting the same things, looking for the same things, learning the same lessons. There's going to be differences there and navigating those and allowing for those and communicating around them is really necessary, but it's scary, right? Because you're in like potentially like threatening new territory um, and where once things like love and sex and intimacy were something only the two of you shared, you're in territory where that has changed. Um, so I think it, you know, it's yeah. really understandable well, that that happens. And part of those, the way that you're sharing that in, in your, you know, existing relationship is uh, because, you know, it's wonderful and you're connected to that person and all of those things are really good. Like, isn't it fair to say that sort of from like a, a mental health therapeutic psychological perspective like people are also attracted to st stable relationships because of you know the what it does for their feelings of security and attachment and stuff like that it's not just like i'm like i love spending time with you like that is a big part of it but there's a part of it where it's like i know i'm safe i know what i'm getting from this person um you know we have uh an, a sort of like agreement or an arrangement or like you know i can be attached to you and rely on you do you know what i'm talking about <laughs> you're looking at me like i just saying total nonsense no not nonsense uh i think i'm curious to ask a few more questions here what you're saying is that you have always consistently felt this way about me that which way that <laughs> you're attracted to me because I'm safe or are you talking about a theoretical No, I'm person? just saying people in general like our ideal of a relationship like is is perhaps like this is the thing that's so great about this person and this is the person for me and I love spending time with them and I we have the same interests and we like to go on long walks on the beach and we're both interested in puppies and whatever but like there's a a psychological layer like the cost, concept of attachment mm -hmm. is something that that lives you know, in conjunction with those things um, that you feel safe and connected. Isn't that what attachment is? Yeah, that's right. I mean, the idea attachment figures in our lives, um, our first ones usually being our caregivers as children, right? And then most commonly attachment figures are the people we're in intimate relationship with, um, sometimes romantically, sometimes in chosen family, sometimes in extended family. Um, I think in like really traditional conceptualizations of love and family, we develop attachment patterns with our caregivers and then those get repeated or echoed in some way with our romantic partners. Um, and the idea, I, ideally, um, you have a secure attachment uh, where you feel safe and loved and um, uh, comfortable to be yourself in those relationships and, and comfortable and sure in the idea that you'll get what you need from them or if you're not, that you can ask for it. And um, But for at least half of us, based on most studies that I've looked at, 
at least half of our population doesn't experience consistent secure attachment. And this is complicated. Like attachment is something that initially had been kind of considered a fixed thing. Like I have anxious or preoccupied attachment. That means Mm -hmm. I'm always uh, afraid my needs won't be met. I have um, in uh, avoidant attachment. That means that I'm afraid to be like vulnerable and present and, um, uh, uh, forthcoming in my intimate relationships. Disorganized attachment is often like considered a kind of symptom of abusive childhoods, um, or neglected childhoods where you experience both of those things more recently. And I think what bears out to feel more true to me is this idea that we have different attachment dynamics with different people. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And in our relationships, really, it depends um, that it's like an alchemy or uh, chemistry that's created between people. Uh, so that's like my mini TED talk about attachment. <laughs> yeah. No, well, the reason I was bringing that up was, thank you for explaining sure. it. The reason I was bringing it up is just like, like, and I, you know, as, as you're saying, some of that language is like a little bit sort of judgmental or like there's a, as if there's a normal way to be. And then there's like problematic ways to be, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know if I necessarily um, love that framing, but like if you're in a non-monogamous relationship where your partner, you're going to be attached to your partner. And unless that attachment is like, you know, emotional Superman level of secure when they're building relationships and attachment with other people, that's going to make you feel away. It's probably going to make you feel away ways. (laughs) It's going to make you feel, scared or jealous or whatever. So, I mean, I guess I, I just, it's like, duh. <laughs> well, I, I mean, maybe that that's a duh, but I don't feel like that's an experience you've had with me. Uh, you know, it seems like as I've built relationships with other people, you haven't at least directly expressed as much jealousy or fear around mm. those relationships as maybe I have. Yeah. Others. It depends from relationship to relationship. Um, but yeah, maybe not as much uh, as you have experienced, but it's not like I can't relate to it at all or I don't. Um, it really depends on the person and like how, uh, who they are and how kind of threatening they feel to me. And there's like a bunch of, uh, you know, um, social things. Like if I'm dating a younger woman, like we've talked about, like there's like all these things that, you know, sort of like um, internalized feelings that uh you're gonna have of like you know there's value like we were talking about last night there's like value along with like youth and um i don't know you know what i'm saying like yeah i was taking issue with them being internalized i think that they're just (laughs) honest reflections of the way like a misogynistic culture behaves um yeah and for sure so like that that makes it probably a more difficult right. experience. Well, for you and to I have. think this and is where issues you... of like uh, anxious, preoccupied attachment and like gender come up. Uh, it's often f- feminized. Um, yeah. And again, I have not seen that bear out in my practice. Uh, right. But I think it's frustrating sometimes that it's presented as someone who is just like lacking confidence too, where it's like, okay. Uh, there are good reasons why I might feel threatened. Like me, a 42 year old mom of two young kids might feel threatened by my husband getting into a relationship with 
a younger woman without kids. And I mean, there's reasons inside my own family, right? And reasons inside our own relationship why I might feel that way. Um, And it was often frustrating to me around this that it just felt like any kind of fear that I felt uh, was kind of characterized as me. And I was doing this to myself. Maybe the world was a little bit. But me being bad at non-monogamy, me being insecure in some way, um, me sort of like buying into outdated scripts that were no longer true, um, me, here we go again, just not being cool. (laughs) (laughs) When the whole time I was like, motherfuckers, it seems like there would be really good reasons to feel scared about this. Like, can I please just be a little bit scared about this without everybody jumping down my throat about how I shouldn't be scared about it? Because we literally have centuries, millennia of reasons for being scared about this. And also, like, my whole day was just, like, full of reasons, examples, cultural reinforcements of why to be scared about this. Um, So I'm obviously getting a little activated (laughs) here. And so... Yeah, I think, yeah. I think we're well, on to something. thank you for saying that. You said it better than I was able to say it, and it probably makes more sense for you to articulate that. But so I'm trying to imagine, like, the flip side of that. Like, for me, I probably would be very jealous if you were dating, like, a man who was, like, uh, older than me and, like, you know, some, like, rich guy who I'm taking notes over had here. a vacation home and... <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, had uh, I'm trying to think of other really good stuff that you would like had like a bread factory okay he's a he's a wealthy bread magnate who's like way more well read than I am sir Uh, sir if you're listening my Instagram (laughs) handle her number is um, yeah and so that you know that would make me jealous and that's not the type of person that you're like Lucky for you, I seem to be attracted to maybe not the kind of person who broke anarchists um, and women. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, which is less threatening. So you're welcome, Alex. uh, That's all for today, folks. Bye. Uh, Sarah's number is no. Should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. Hi. Hi. I do still think that we need to talk about that. Just this idea that when people are feeling unsafe, that uh, just as like a point of um, for couples who maybe are experiencing this dynamic and what I talk about with couples or relationships who are experiencing this dynamic of someone feeling um, scared or unsafe uh, in this way because new relationship energy or love or unequal levels of enthusiasm, or someone having more partners than the other person, or just being different. Um, I talk about how we have to pay attention to and honor those feelings of fear. Um, that I know, like, we're scared of those feelings, and, it, and often our instincts can be to just try and talk someone out of them, uh, and we think that that will solve them. But fear comes from a real place. It's a real emotion. It needs acknowledging. And if we can hold that for each other, there's the opportunity to do a little bit deeper dive into where the roots of that fear might be. Um, And I think that's where you get to build more intimacy and more safety with your partner or partners. Um, And I know that for you and I, Alex, you know, I often express that fear in really accusatory ways 
towards you. And I think this gets at like the mistake I made. Um, there was more than one here. But one of them was just like, I'm scared. Alex must be doing something wrong. Right. Um, and I think you often heard that and got defensive and wanted to talk me out of the fear because you didn't want me to have it. And also because you didn't want to feel like you were doing something wrong, <laughs> which you weren't necessarily. Um, and well, I always hate feeling like I'm doing something wrong, whether or not I actually, actually am. Doing something wrong. <laughs> so, um, it's hard to know. But I think like what we learned from that experience and what we're hopefully getting better at is recognizing when one of us feels afraid or unsafe in some way, recognizing that for myself first, right? Then coming to you and expressing it and being clear about what I'm saying or asking for, uh, or as much as I can be. Usually it's just for you to hold it. I mean, I think that happened even this morning when like a text from one of your other partners came through when I was like holding your phone. And I said like, you know, I just always have like a feeling when that happens. I'm like, I don't really even know why, but it just always gives me kind of a feeling. And you were like, yeah, that makes sense. And that was the mm -hmm. end of that interaction. <laughs> Um, so, right. You know, so like this idea that we can tolerate our... <laughs> Instead of me being like, I'm not doing anything wrong. Right. Ah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, being able to build our tolerance for some of our own discomfort, again, that like struggle versus the suffer, right? Being able to build some of our tolerance that of that in our partners and really just being able to hold it, which when you do hold fear for yourself and each other, and this is what I feel like 90% of what I do as a therapist is, is someone is afraid of something and I hold that and we explore how it makes a lot of sense for them to be afraid and that it's okay to be afraid and that their fear response is actually a totally deeply understandable one. And once we're able to do that, we can deep dive on some of the roots of that. And Alex, you and I have had so many really interesting, valuable conversations in the months since that awful rock bottom fight that we're talking about where I, because we were learning to hold fear, I was for myself, uh, we were for each other, I got to explore where like a lot of that fear comes from intergenerational trauma. There are a lot of stories of women in my family being left with small kids alone and their husbands leaving them for younger women um, or for women who didn't have kids. You know, that's one possible exploration of like the root of that fear, but I think it shows up as a good example. Um, I couldn't have gotten there if we were just constantly in a reactive state with each other uh, around that fear. And it was really easy for me to just be like, and maybe this will help us segue into the next section, this love is dangerous. This love means that I'm going to be left. I know this because, you know, I see this all around me. But now I feel like I can explore a little further and say like, yeah, it makes sense to be afraid of those things. You have examples of that in your family. There are examples of that in the culture, right? That fear mm -hmm. is recognizable, relatable, interesting, and let's like feel our way around it. And now suddenly that diffuses a lot of the charge around that fear between us.
So, I mean, I think that does segue well into this cultural references piece, which is why the idea of love is so powerful and threatening, especially in a monogamous framework. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, it's like we tend to think about love as, you know, like a very powerful thing that we don't really have, that people don't really have control over, right? It's like you fall into love. Um, People don't usually fall on purpose, (laughs) right? Uh, It's like, um, it's like sort of a, um, it's like almost like a magical, a magic that we believe in, right? So if we think about like all of the the stories about love, it's like typically, um, you know, something that just overtakes people. It's like so powerful and um, it's not really like a, a choice or something that they have any, control over and it makes them do really irrational or like you know sometimes destructive things um so i guess i think that it's like an interesting idea it's just so interesting that like it's the one place where we kind of like even people who are sort of the most sort of rationally minded people who are just like i believe in science and uh the 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 rational nature of the world, and um, let's hear that science. You know, if it can't be proven, voice again. What is, how does, I I believe in science, but then those same people who would not accept any other sort of metaphysical truths about the world will be like, but also I'm in love, and that means something that I'm not going to really define for you, but it's going to like, you know, it's it's something that that just will like take me to the ends of the earth, right? And like, I don't mean to sound like I don't. <laughs> I don't believe in love, but it is like that, uh, that disconnect is very, um, you know, it's very strange. If you like look at it from, if you were an alien who landed on earth and we're, we're like, you've built everything around, um, you know, a very, a very rationally driven society that has no, um, real belief in like magic or, uh, power beyond what can be sort of proven. Um, and then we have this one concept that, you know, and I think the reason that it's there is because it has utility in reinforcing a bunch of, uh, you know, social and economic systems. Or like, I guess that's the like, the like Marxist way of thinking about it is like we use love to justify our nuclear families or you know our our pairings and our systems, and then every every kind of cultural artifact that talks about it as this amazing thing that we should all be seeking um, is kind of like, you know building energy behind the way that we do things in our society. Well, right. Yeah. And that is how it's tied to kind of compulsory monogamy in such an explicit way there, which is it serves to kind of, um, create a nuclear family around this idea that two people have fallen into some kind of like magical, all consuming love, which in a way you, you might sort of need because we no longer have like kinship networks and extended families and uh, other, other ways of like building family. Um, And that this is like a very white patriarchal um, capitalist oriented way of looking at things. But I think for our purposes, it makes sense. Uh, And that then sort of carries you through the making of the babies, the raising of the babies in sort of early life stages. um, And, as we've discussed in previous episodes, then the plot line gets a little murky and it's kind of like, I'm not really sure what monogamy is supposed to do for you after it has succeeded in, you know, well, but producing love that is supposed family. to continue to give you 
meaning. And if right. you think right. about people who are sort of like elder people who are sort of uh, respected in that context that you were just referencing, they're people who have like, you know, they've been, de- uh, he's been a devoted husband for mm-hmm. 50 years or whatever, right. right? And they're just like still madly in love after all this time. Like that is the kind of the, <laughs> it's kind of like the high water mark for, you know, definitely yeah. the time that your kids yeah. leave the house to when you're buried in side by side graves, mm. uh, you know, that's basically the thing that you should be doing, right? Is like being in love. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's great, but it is like a very high expectation to hold of people, especially around a completely intangible concept. I'm going to just come in with a hot take right here. I would bet that almost everybody out there listening to this doesn't really know exactly what they mean by love or has had moments of doubt where they're just like, do I understand what love is? Right. Have I ever experienced love? Am I in love with this person who I'm, you know, in relationship with? Like, everybody must feel that, right? I think so. Yeah. And I think it's taboo to talk about it. And if you do talk about it in any terms at all, suddenly your relationship is in trouble. So you can see with all of these sort of like rigid and unspoken (laughs) rules. Yeah, is our relationship in trouble now? Yeah, right? So you can see with how... Sarah's like, stop the podcast. We need to fucking talk. (laughs) This motherfucker just said love doesn't exist. And I don't even know. This will be our fourth and final episode. (laughs) (laughs) Titled Love Does Not Exist. And they went their separate ways. Uh huh. The compulsory monogamy SWAT team is actually kicking down the door right now, and um, it's like a bunch of cute little cupids with tactical gear. Um, so, but to get back to the story at hand, you can see if there's all of these like unspoken and very rigid assumptions in place about love—the word love—to fall in love. And for it to be really centered around lifelong partnership or the creation of family, then going into this, you and I, it kind of makes sense that I was like, no, you're not going to fall in love with somebody else. Because we did that. Mm -hmm. We fell in love with each other. And done. we made the family and we're going to be in the side by side grave. So I don't. I don't know what you mean. Like to fall in love with somebody else would <laughs> yeah. be to, what are you going to do that all over again? Are you going to do that simultaneously? What, right. what are you even talking about? Um, I mean, there is a grave on the other side. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Um, wow. Okay. So possible just like side venture, uh, selling yeah. polyamorous grave plots. I'm not sure. Is there something there? Maybe. Uh huh. I don't know know if there's a lot of crossover between polyamorous people and people who are looking for like a traditional burial experience (laughs) or whatever. I want a non-traditional. Okay, you know what? In the industry, yeah, I want a non-traditional burial experience. That's true. Um, We should talk about this later. I bet we could do a whole episode. Like 953 is going to be about end of life stuff. But but getting back, like pinning this back to the story, the van, the rock bottom fight, Uh the first time you fall in (laughs) love, you could see where. I was tripping out because that's what all of those things were pinned to. So hearing, fearing that that was happening and then hearing you say it, what I heard was I have found someone else. I found someone to replace you. I have found someone else that I might want to do these things with. Right. Yeah. And I think for me, it was kind of like, I have feelings of love for this person and you know, it's a big deal in that it, it always is. But, uh, it's not a necessarily a big deal for, you know, its implications for you and I's relationship. But because it was so charged, I did like a terrible job of 
you know, for just talking to you about that before, um, you know, it, it was a super activating experience and like being open about it because I kind of like knew that it was going to feel like a big deal. And I didn't really understand how to, to frame it, um, either. So I want to talk about the term, the kind of like alternative term that, uh, of new relationship energy that, um, is used a lot by non-monogamous people. Um, and, uh, I'm going to read a thing from, this is an article from psychology today, just describing it as quote, the glowing, exciting, bubbling feeling of being enraptured enraptured with a new partner closely akin to the feeling of falling in love new relationship energy happens when people are fascinated with each other but not yet aware of the negative aspects of their new crush practice polyamorous (laughs) people thank you psychology i know i love that part okay uh practice polyamorous people tend to allow themselves to enjoy the ride without taking it too seriously um so that's from elizabeth chef in psychology today um and so i mean this is like a a kind of like acknowledgement, I think, whether explicit or not, that like there you can have a feeling that you will have a feeling with a new relationship with somebody that like is a really like special transcendent feeling that is like very closely, very similar to what most people associate with love. Or, and like, in fact, it love. may be the same um, thing. It may like chemically, it may be the exact psychologically same right. be the same thing. But what we're trying to do here, and it's challenging because of the way our culture is structured, is to separate that out from the decision to like be build a family with each other, be primary partners or nesting partners, buy a house together, right? There are lots of other things that speak to committed long-term emotional and other types of commitment um, that often are kind of smashed together with new relationship energy when we talk about love in like a really traditional form. But I think what we're trying to do here is kind of pull those out in interesting ways. Yeah. And like the fact that you, I don't think it's a coincidence that people, you know, in the people who are non-monogamous, like have come up with this whole other term that essentially means the same thing as love or is describing the same feelings, but because the term love is so, charged and potentially disruptive or destructive um, because of all its, all of its culturally carried meanings. Um, you know, they want to, we want to say something else. Um, and I mean, that's not to say that there is not other kinds of love and people could mean other things from that uh, word. I mean, I, I love you. I don't currently like new relationship energy you cause our relationship is, is not new. Um, and yeah, I was, my mind was really blown when I thought about, when I, when I thought about this in the kind of like biological context too, that like, you know, the reason that we have a feeling like this, like, and where kind of love, the feeling of love or new relationship energy comes from is like, kind of like, a um, a sort of like evolutionary, uh, thing that helps you like get through the process of procreation and pregnancy and having small children that like when people come together initially and like, they're kind of like doing that, um, you know, having a powerful feeling that this is the most amazing person that I've ever met and will ever meet. And like, I have these transcendent magical feelings about this person. Um, it makes it easier to, do really those really like kind of hard things and like be really close together in relationship in the way that you need to be. That's why we should have had kids when we were 23. 
Right. Yeah. That's why having kids was meet, so much harder get, 10 years later. <laughs> get pregnant on the first date and, you know, ride the wave of magic until your kids are like two or three and then um, move on like they would have in the cave <laughs> days right. or whatever, or like redefine yeah. your relationship. Um, well, and I would like to put in a plug. The cave man Yeah, days, thanks. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> thanks, white man. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for making the first reference to caveman days on our podcast. Um, it won't be the last. I'm no, I'm sure it won't. Uh, well, I want to put in a, a light plug for new relationship energy that is possible inside relationships that have gone on for over many years. I said hmm. early on in the podcast today that inside any relationship are many relationships. And any relationship that spans years and huge life changes is recreated many times. And I think sometimes those recreations of existing relationships can bring with them new energy that is exciting. Um, and I think I have had that experience with you mm -hmm. through non-monogamy. Yeah. In fact, it has been really exciting for our relationship to like be built in a new way. And I think you and I have been excited by each other in new ways. Um, and around these like new ideas in our relationship and it has brought some of that absolutely into yeah our partner. yeah and i've heard other people um who you know who have redefined their relationships to be non-monogamous express the same thing that it's like uh it feels like uh a whole new connection that you have to your partner partly because you've just like yeah made things made things really new and different you have a new version of your relationship that yeah, that you can have some of that, that energy with. Um, I agree with you. I also think that like, uh, you know, I think the understanding of like people who use the term new relationship energy, like almost, there's almost like a certain amount of like, not contempt attached to it, but like everybody kind of like, is like, you know, nudge wink that person is, or I'm feeling like NRE and like, you know, it's not a good time to like, you're not necessarily making the most, like the best decisions for yourself or like in the best headspace or whatever. I don't really like know that I necessarily get that, uh, in, in the idea that you would like, just do something like incredibly stupid. Like the, that article that I was reading was saying like, uh, so it's not a good time to like move across the country or buy a house or whatever, which like, yeah, sure. <laughs> do people really not know that? Like, are they really like, I don't know. What do you think about that? Oh, um, I was just thinking about how I don't think I experience new relationship energy in exactly the typical way that's being described here. I, I move way slower than other people do with like excitement for another person or being vulnerable with another mm, person. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I often have the experience of my partners having new relationship energy with me earlier than I do with them. <laughs> and you're like, Ugh. no, it's not. Give me that I know I, I will know that there's someone that I like care about or maybe love, but I don't really like that sort of ebullient, like this person is the most fascinating. I'm looking at the <laughs> glowing, bubbly. Uh, I, I'm like very, I mean, uh -huh. this is probably something to be explored personally. Um, I have always been pretty skeptical of that and slow to come to that on my own. And I do eventually with people, but I feel like it often happens like a year and a half into a relationship, five years into a friendship, like a lot longer into huh. it when I trust them. 
it takes me a long time to trust people with those right. kinds of feelings. Yeah. And I think for me, it's a lot more, it's also not like kind of what it says here. It's like a more, like I have an experience of being like, does this person like me? Do they like me? Do they like me? Oh, I'm finding out they like me. And that feels really good. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's like kind of the source of a lot of the, the good or like the, the sort of erratic source of a lot of the good feelings. Yeah. And like, I'm probably pretty, like pretty like solid on like, you know, the, the degree to which I'm, uh, enchanted with them. Yeah. A lot of the enchantment is like their enchantment with me. If I can yeah. get them to feel that, yeah. then that, then that's what feels really good and special to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, once you like start looking at a word like love or even new relationship energy, it does kind of feel like sand through your fingers. It's hard to hold on to what it is. Um, we mm-hmm. know that we're talking about powerful forces in the world. Uh, but we sometimes do struggle with like language and definitions. Um, and it's really interesting to try and apply mm-hmm. them. And non-monogamy forces you to, whether you want to or not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've revealed that I'm the least romantic person on earth. Thank you for being married to me and enduring <laughs> that. I, you, Whatever everybody heard for my speech about how love doesn't exist, Sarah's been living that, living in <laughs> In that world for 20 years. Yep, this is pretty much what every Valentine's card from Alex has sounded like for decades. <laughs> love doesn't yeah, really exist. You get a job with Hallmark. Like, <laughs> love. But I'm glad I'm in whatever uh, this is with It just you. says love on the front. <laughs> and then inside, it just is a bunch of sand that falls out of the bottom of the card. Oh, my God. <laughs> please, please have that be the next card that you give me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Well, it's 11 months till Valentine's Day, so You've got I'll, I'll work on, I'll workshop some ideas. All right, so conclusions. And yeah, I think just like circling back to, you know, our, our theme here, mistakes were made. I feel like I've talked a fair amount about mine, like when I was uncomfortable uh, expressing that by kind of accusing you of doing something wrong um, instead of holding some of that for myself and figuring it out on my end. And also just going into non-monogamy with some really strict, unexamined definitions of love uh, that were still super tied to monogamy. And so those things were inevitably going to clash against each other in pretty intense ways. Um, I think I think that's where I would locate the mistakes that I made. What about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, definitely that that same lack of kind of interrogation or understanding of um, what was coming and unrealistic expectations about what I was actually kind of looking for um, and that I really was in relationships to like build a degree of intimacy that was going to point to love eventually um, probably sooner rather than later. But like really the big mistake is like not sharing that with you and, and being afraid of the consequences and thus like hiding that level of escalation until, you know, it was not something that we were like, experiencing together or, you know, that I was even like sharing with you kind of honestly, because I was afraid that it would, it would be too hard. Yeah. You know, and like, that's, that's a pretty, I guess it's like a pretty good mistake to talk about. Um, just like avoiding hard conversations. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I don't think in, in life in general, 
it, they can be <laughs> avoided. It's all prob- probably almost always a bad idea to like be like, well, this feels too hard to talk about. I'm just going to like avoid having that conversation. But especially if you're trying to be non-monogamous, um, you know, with somebody that you're really committed to, like it's going to take a lot of hard conversations and a lot, an awful lot of, of work. Um, and, you know, I think to, to your credit, Sarah, you, uh, are, you're less afraid of that <laughs> or, or, or like lean into that fear more. And I tend to be more like, can we avoid having a hard conversation? You know? Um, and that, that was, this was probably the biggest example of probably many examples of me doing that, um, of, of trying to avo- avoid a, a difficult topic because it just made me feel uncomfortable and, or I knew that it made you feel afraid. And this is where I think our mistakes kind of meet in what might be a more universal truth here, which is you're going to be afraid sometimes in non-monogamy. You are. I mean, that's just true in relationships. You're going to be afraid. Fear is a part of intimacy. Fear is a part of um, exploring new relationships, trusting people. Uh, And that is not, I think we're trained to think that that's a sign that we're on the wrong track, but it could in fact be the opposite. That this is where if we get curious and we have like a little tolerance for exploring, we could get closer to ourselves and each other um, and actually have more love in our lives instead of us. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that is kind of what it's all about, right? Like trying to, that's the point probably on a bigger, bigger scale of, you know, having more than one romantic relationship in your life um, or sort of life partnership in your life is having more love. Yeah. So uh, on that note, speaking of love, uh, yeah, we got to go pick up these kids from the grandparents because we're supposed to be in West Seattle in like 15 minutes and everybody knows that it takes like three hours to get there now. So... <laughs> Thank you for listening to Mistakes Were Made. You can reach us at mistakescast at gmail.com. That's M-I-S-T-A-K-E-S-C-A-S-T at gmail.com and on Instagram. Uh, we'd love to hear about your experiences with non-monogamy uh, and maybe even have you as a guest on the show. Please like and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Bye.